continue, I might just lead us in prayer. Father, thank you that this day is not just a moment in history we remember, it's a present power that we embrace, that you are risen, ruling, reigning and living. You're alive to God and you're present to us. And so we turn our minds and our imaginations and our attention and our affection to you right now. And we ask God, speak to us and meet us where we're at. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, happy Resurrection Sunday. Come on. Yeah. Why don't you grab a seat? And uh, how many kids we got in the house today? Got a few kids? Where are my kids at? Yeah, I heard a little something-something. I heard one of them. Any other kids? Want to make make yourself known? Right on. I see you there, Miller. Awesome. Hey, it's so good to have kids in the house with us because um, we love our kids' ministry, and our kids' ministry disciples people, but one of the things we realize is that it sits separate to this building. And there's parents in this room who have kids that I've never met and that people in this community might never have met. And we want to actually enjoy God and community with one another and enjoy kids um, together. So just a warm, warm welcome to kids. Hey, before I get, up, get underway, on the screen behind me here um, for the next slide, thanks, Chelsea, will be uh, a bit of a liturgy I want to walk us through at the end. But I just want to give you some flags up front. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to land this afternoon. And so at the end, when I land the plane, which is about in two hours' time, what will happen is, uh, I'll invite us to respond. I will say, uh, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and then I'll sort of whisper the next part, allowing you, God's people, to say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we're going to land there. Um, but uh, we've got a bit to get underway before we get there, so let's kick off. Something I've realized is that I haven't told you my name. I'm Alex, um, if you've not met me, I am the pastor here at New Life Brisbane, and none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the amazing team, not just of staff, but of volunteers. So can we just give them a round of applause? Um, so much has happened this afternoon, and now we're here, and we get to celebrate together, and God's here. So um, something I've realized about myself in the last few years is that on a day off, I really like to read the newspaper like to keep up to date with current affairs, check out like Haley and Justin Bieber's latest outfits, um, that kind of thing, keep up with the Kardashians. I'm not even sure if that's a thing anymore, but uh, I genuinely enjoy it. I find it relaxing. I find it, you know, stilling. And it just allows me just to, you know, just to check in with the world and realize that I don't live on an island and things are happening outside of me. But I've realized something, is that there's two kinds of things that happen in a newspaper. Um, there's what I would call advice slash opinion, and if you've read a tabloid, you'll know exactly what I mean. And then there's news that's reported. I'll give you an example. This morning, um, I was sitting at a coffee shop reading The Weekend Australian. And uh, I went to the magazine section at the back, pulled it out, and it, there was this car reviewer guy, and a, a guy named Steve Corby. I'm sure he's an awesome guy. And uh, he was reporting on this new hybrid Ferrari. This is the world we're in now, hybrid Ferrari. And it was half a million dollars. And he, this guy's like, he's got this reputation of being cold and austere, and he never gives anything like five stars, ever. And he said in this little opinion article about this Ferrari, he said, but this car has changed my mind. I might give it five stars. I remember reading this, and I had one thought about this advice slash opinion. I don't care. <laughs> like, I just don't care. 
I'm not a car guy. The other week when we were in isolation, we realized my battery, our battery went flat, and so I had to change the battery. And like any millennial, I went straight to YouTube, you know? No idea what to do with a car, straight to YouTube. But I don't care about advice or opinion, because what, you can do different things with advice slash opinion versus news. Advice tells you sort of what you should do, whereas news tells you what's been done. Advice or opinion tells you what one individual sort of thinks within the center of themselves. It's sort of subjective in that sense, but news, news tells you something true about the world that's changed things. Here's the bottom line, advice you can take or leave, but news you have to wrestle with. And we'll read a text in a moment from the Apostle Paul, Romans 6, but I want to answer this question today, what's Easter? And as a Christian, I've come to learn that Easter is not the story that's about advice. It's not the story that's about opinion. It claims to be news. In fact, I'd put it this way, Easter is not good advice, it's good news. That's the claim in the New Testament writers, that it's news that changes something because of which everything else is no longer the same. You can't take it or leave it, you need to wrestle with it. When you hear the Easter story and examine the claims of Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, you realize they're making a statement about reality. And they're either saying you're on board with this or you're not, but you need to wrestle. Famously, uh, C.S. Lewis, this wasn't in my notes, but he just needs a second roll out today. C.S. Lewis, he said Jesus was one of three things, liar, lunatic, or Lord. He either tried to deceive the masses or he was deceived as an individual or he was right and he's the risen, ruling, reigning king, liar, lunatic, or Lord. And that's the news we announce on Resurrection Sunday. It's not advice. It's not opinion. It claims to be news to wrestle with. But here's the big debate. The big debate, at least as I talk with people on the street, some of my friends, is, you know, what's the difference between the the truth of the story and the relevance of the story? Um, Some people will say, look, even if it is true, it's just not relevant to my life. Uh, And they'll sort of make this case that, look, even if you can prove to me through evidence and that kind of thing that it's not relevant to my life, but one of the key things about the Christian story is you'll realize that it's not true because it's relevant, it's relevant because it's true, that it makes a statement about reality for all people in all times, all places, everyone, because of which the invitation is universally available. Um, There's a writer, his name's Jerry Brashears. He's a theologian. I think he was a pastor back in the day, but he had this beautiful way of putting it. He said, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no saviour, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, and no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man, and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. That's what Jerry Brashears said. On Friday, if you're with us, we talked about the benefits of Good Friday, that because of Jesus, we can be forgiven, accepted, redeemed, reconciled to God, set free from sin, all the things that pull us down in this world, freedom and liberation from that so we can walk in the new life that God has available for us. But what if death of Jesus was the end? Then none of that applies. None of it. It's myth. It's fairy tale. It's wishful thinking. It's a pipe dream. But if Jesus rose from the dead... The argument of the New Testament is that that is God's vindication of this man, and therefore everything he said matters. The claim is that it's true, and it's relevant because it's true, that it can acutely apply and speak to each of our lives, no matter your story. Paul, in Romans 6, would write these words. Romans 6, verse 5 to 10. 
For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Paul's got two points that I just want to put before us this afternoon. One, that the resurrection of Jesus means life eternal. And two, that the resurrection of Jesus means life to the full. Life eternal and life to the full. First point, life eternal, verse 5. Let me read it again. Paul says this. He says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Growing up, one of the key questions that plagued my imagination, you're going to learn a lot about me in this sermon, um, is the question of death. Now, before I elaborate on that, let me just say welcome to church. You know, We entertain serious topics here and sometimes, you know. But welcome to church. Seriously, if it's your first time, great to have you in the building with us. But this is my story growing up. I was just plagued by this question of death. And I just couldn't get over the profundity of the nature of existence, right? Like, why am I here? And uh, I'd say two things about me. I thought deeply as a young kid, but not well. Meaning I'd like lay in bed at at night, belly button gazing, and just asking, like, what's this all about? But then I'd wake up the next day, and I wouldn't sort of take that question as like a research topic, you know? I wouldn't read books or ask friends or mentors or that kind of thing. I just didn't care. But we all have those moments, do we not? We're laying in bed at night, and we're thinking about the universe. No matter your story, background, experience, culture, we do this. It's a human thing. It's not a Christian thing. Everyone does this. We lay in bed, we think, what is this thing? We call life. But for me, it was the question of death that plagued my imagination. And something I've realized along my journey is that every worldview, not just Christianity, needs to have an answer for the question of death. It's real. I think it was Woody Allen. It could not be, it might not be him, but I think it was Woody Allen who said, like, there's two things certain in life, death and taxes, right? And it's true. And, you know, just think about the absurdity of this for a second. Like, we, we're on this spinning orb, suspended in this thing we call space. And it's most likely the case that the universe we inhabit is 14.8 billion years old, most likely, according to modern science. And that the Earth we find ourselves on and the creatures and the organisms that are here, they've probably existed for about 100,000 years. And then the human race that we now call ourselves a part of, we've been here for thousands and thousands of years. And here we are in the 21st century with an expanded lifespan of 70 plus years. What for? And what happens next? I was five years old, right? Five years old asking these questions. Not with the right numbers and facts, but they were there. Every worldview needs to answer that question. The atheistic worldview, the worldview that says that this world is all there is, there's no God, it would simply say that we're the result of time plus chance plus matter, and that this material existence we have, you know, that's it. Does anyone remember the show House with the father of Stuart Little, uh, Hugh Laurie? Is that his his name? Is that it? Did I get it right? Yeah, Yeah, right, okay. I was like, Hugh Grant? No, not British enough. Hugh Laurie, yeah, and um, Stuart Little's dad. And um, Gregory House, he plays this, like, uncouth, cold, austere, like, physician. And this performance artist comes to him one day, 
and she's done something silly and he sort of berates her for it. And, you know, it's like, what relationship do you have that makes that possible? But he does it. He berates her for it. And he says to her, um, where are the words? Here we go. He says, um, you're mortal, just a bag of cells. You are waste with an expiration date. That's what Hugh Laurie, as Dr. House, says to this patient. Now, again, welcome to church. But this is the atheistic worldview, which would simply say, if this material existence is all that we've got, then death is the end. It's not a doorway to something else. It's the very end. And Hugh Laurie has this beautiful ability to impersonate this person with such seriousness and say, that's, that's it. It sucks. That's the reality, but that's it. Now, I think the modern sort of response to this conundrum is like, you know, hey, we're not here for a long time, but we're here for a good time. And so let's just have a really good time with the 70 plus years we've got. But here's the question. What meaning is there? And that's the open question that's raised to the person who doesn't find themselves with a worldview that is transcendent. Now, lots of words here. Let me boil it all down. Paul's argument is a response to this conundrum. And his argument is simple. And his argument is this, that if we come into a relationship with God, if we come to know Jesus Christ, if we come to know God through Jesus who showed us to him and gave us away to him, then we will never die again. That's the claim of Paul. That's the argument of the New Testament. That's the point of Resurrection Sunday, eternal life. Eternal life and life everlasting. We will never die again. One of my friends, um, Dan Patterson, he puts it so beautifully. He says, if Christianity is true and the resurrection happened, then death is not a full stop. It's a comma. Death is not the end of your existence. It's a doorway to eternity. That if you find yourself taking up your cross, following after Jesus and dying to yourself in this life, that is the means by which you amass eternity into the future, eternal life. And it's a very different story, but it's the point of the Christian one. C.S. Lewis, he put it so beautifully. It'll be on the screens. He said it like this. The world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues. And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. If you're a Christian, you share that rumor. If you're a Christian, you share that hope. If you know Jesus, this is your future. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just wishful thinking. It's grounded in flesh and blood history. And it points to a promise that the future you will inhabit will be embodied eternal before the face of God and in the presence of brothers and sisters that join the journey with you. Eternal life, Paul would say. This is Resurrection Sunday. Do you know the resurrection of Jesus this afternoon? This is what it means. Eternal life. If you know God through Jesus, death will never be the end. It'll just be a doorway to the next life that God has for you. It's hope. It's life. It's meaning. It's purpose. And the cool thing about C.S. Lewis's quote, it's, it's not just pie in the sky when you die. It's not just like credit in a bank account system that you get you know, in a trust fund at the end of life. It actually starts to work backwards. What do I mean? Well, life to the full. Verses 6 to eight. Paul says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, something that I've noted in this passage is, you know, just in my notes, but for you now, is that Paul seems pretty confused. Like he seems pretty confused in this passage, if you ask me. And the reason I think that is because he sort of jumps between tenses. On one level, he's talking about the past and some kind of death we've all gone through. 
But then I'm like, I'm here flesh and blood, bro. Like, I'm sweet. I haven't died. What are you talking about? And I'm here in the present. And he says, there's some things that are possible for you in the present too, in relationship with God. And then he says, but also we're going to look to the future. And he's sort of jumping in between these things. And it's confusing. And the reason it's confusing is because we're modern people who aren't Jews. Paul is a Jew. Bit of background history. That one's for free. Paul's a Jew. He's writing with a Jewish framework. And the Jewish hope was this. One day, God will come and resurrect the righteous. And they'll be with him, and he'll be with them. And it was the great hope of the Jewish people. Then Paul finds himself meeting the resurrected Jesus on a road called Damascus. You can read this story in the book of Acts chapter 9. And he wrestles with the fact that this Jesus guy should have been dead. Now Jesus is alive. What God promised to do at the end of time, he now seems to have done in the middle of time. What's going on? And here's the picture that the New Testament paints and what, Paul, what lays behind Paul's language here. It's that because of the resurrection of Jesus, there's two worlds, and they're now overlapping. One is the world of sickness, death, decay, chaos, and sin. And the other is the world which we call the kingdom of God. It's shalom, flourishing, peace, wholeness, life with God. And Paul would say, because Jesus has been resurrected, these worlds are now overlapping. And they're overlapping not in a certain place, not just in a certain time, but in the life of the Christian. Theologians would call this the now but not yet aspect of the kingdom. It's that because of Jesus, we have freedom from the curse of sin, continued freedom from the power of sin, but we long for the day that God comes to make everything new again. There's some things that apply to us now as Christians, but man, it, we still want God to return. We're not there yet, but we have parts. Now, but not yet. In part, not in full. Awaiting eternal life, experiencing whispers of life to the full now. How? Because of the power of the resurrection. The sense that Jesus is alive and he's poured out his spirit, not just on this world in a vague sense, but on Christians who come into relationship with God through Jesus. It's the offer of life to the full. Paul's point is this, what God has started in Jesus, he's continuing in Christians. Life to the full. Um, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien, he, um, he had this storytelling device that he would use the word eucatastrophe for. The um, catastrophe, we all know what that is, it's bad. But eucatastrophe is, it uses the preface EU, which means good or well in Greek, and catastrophe. And he combined this as a storytelling device. Um, and he, he, he used this term uh, to talk about that moment in a story. Like this, he defined it like this. He said, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings you to tears. So just think about it. All of us as individuals have these moments in our story, and there's moments in world history where these has, has been the story, and the death of Jesus on Friday was one of these moments in the story. And so just when all hope seems lost, think about the story of the Lord of the Rings. Just when all hope seems lost, the eagles swoop in to rescue the fellowship. Or just when all hope seems lost and the battle is being waged on the plains and the riders of Rohan return. 
Or just when all hope seems lost and they're at the foot of Mordor and Frodo and, you know, Mr. Baggins are about to throw the ring into Mount Doom and is it going to happen? We seem to be overwhelmed by the darkness and the army and all hope seems lost and the white Gandalf rides in at the break of dawn and it's this switch. It's this moment. catastrophe is what Tolkien talked about. And here's the point of the resurrection, both in history for Jesus and for us now. It's that God is in the business of you catastrophic moments. Long words, didn't mean to, just came out. That's what God does. That God wrought a you you catastrophe in the life of Jesus. In other words, rose him to life. Just when all hope seemed lost, Jesus rose from the grave, empty tomb. But in the same way in our lives, God meets us where we're at. No matter our background, no matter our story, no matter our experience, meets us where we're at. And you might be at the lowest of lows. And God wants to turn it around. That's the point of life to the full. That's the point of the resurrection. That's why Paul is making this case. He's saying that the power of sin, addiction, sickness, decay, death, they don't have the full stop. Not just for our lives, but for this world. And God wants to turn it around. I was meditating on John 20 verse 1 this morning, the story of Mary Magdalene walking to the tomb. And she gets there, and it says the stone had been rolled away. And he, what, what would have been her first impression? It would have been that someone had robbed the grave. It would have been that someone had taken the body out. The opposite is true in the story. It wasn't robbery. It was resurrection. It wasn't someone breaking in. It was God breaking out. And this is the point of the resurrection in our lives. God wants to break out into our midst and into your life. Here's my question this afternoon. Do you know the power of the resurrection of Jesus? Life eternal and life to the full. This afternoon, we're, um, we're going to do baptisms, which is a practice instituted by Jesus for all of his followers, that if you are in relationship with God and you know him, that you go under the water as a symbol of dying to the old life that Jesus has paid for, And then you come out of the water as a symbol of rising to new life that Jesus has made available. And I just want to put it both on your imagination because we're not going to say at the end of the service that that's the service done, hang around if you want to. We're actually going to invite us each to go outside where the pool is and center around the pool and witness the story and the beauty and the new life that each individual will give witness to as they go under the water and they come out of the water. That's the image of what we get to celebrate this afternoon. We'll do that together as a family. Um, But the question I've got for each of us this afternoon would just simply be this. Do you know the new life that God's got available for you? Have you heard about it? And just to remind you and come full circle from the place at which we started, this isn't good advice. A lot of people ask me, Alex, what's Christianity about? And a lot of people just assume it's about getting a rule, like a list of rules that you can use to sort of fix yourself and life will be good. That's what advice is. (laughs) This is news about something that God has done on our behalf. And what do you do with news? You acknowledge that it offers change and you receive it. And so I just want to invite each of us here to respond to the invitation that God gives us in Jesus. And so I just invite you, close your eyes. Aaron's going to play along in the background. And I just invite you to pray this prayer along with me. If you have not known Jesus in your life, 
and hearing this news, you're like, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I can understand this story, and I can find myself swept up in it. And yeah, I want to know Jesus. I would just invite you now, pray along with me. The prayer is really simple. God, sorry. Thank you and please. Sorry for living my life away from you. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus. And please come into my life by your power. And so I just invite you, pray along with me. God, sorry for the way that I've lived my life absent from you. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus to make new life available. And God, I pray, come into my life. Heal me, restore me, and help me follow after a relationship with Jesus. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Friends, if you don't know God and you've still got questions, in about five minutes' time, there'll be a video that plays that invites you to consider joining us for Alpha. It's a wonderful... Um, I'll let the video do the talking. But if you pray along with me just then, please introduce yourself to us. Love to get to know you. Our host team in Black Shirts would get to know you. And if you prayed that prayer, then I want to invite you to stand. Actually, I want everyone to stand. I'd invite you to all to stand. <laughs> Goodness me. And I started this by just telling you all where we're going. And I want to start, finish just by saying we're there. Behind me on the screen is a little bit of a liturgy. And if you follow Jesus, I'd invite you to say this. Now, there's two ways you can say this. One is like, oh, I'll just say it then, you know? And the other is to respond to the significance of this day. It is Resurrection Sunday, the biggest day in the calendar year for a Christian. The greatest day in history, if it's true. It's the day that God witnessed to his power, offered us eternal life once and for all, and witnessed to the new life that he has available for us. And so this is Resurrection Sunday. And so friends, I'd invite you, don't simply recite this, declare it. This is an anthem for us to gather around. And as the band leads us into worship afterwards, I'd invite you again, respond. People are gonna lift their hands. Some people might get on their knees. There's going to be a myriad of ways that people respond around you. And I just say it's all on the table for a day like today. What a beautiful day. But let's say this together. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's worship together.